heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the four dimensions of human health. This is where growth happens, and it's addicting. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. Well, welcome again to another episode of the Growth Junkies podcast. My name is Ben Boast, and the other uh, host with me is Kent Delhousay, as always. And we are uh, back at it again. Want to wish a very happy new year to everyone out there. Happy new year! <laughs> We're, we are uh, in 2022, an amazing time of life. So hold on a second. Is it 2022 or, or 2022? What's the difference? Well, because 2020 T-O-O. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Suggests a repeat. A repeat. No. No. We're not going to repeat No, it's 2022, it's not 2022. It's a different year. Two. Just like a different day. It's a new year. I can feel it, Ben. I can feel it. It's going to be a good year. I don't think anybody wants to repeat 2020 or 2021 no, for that matter. No. 2022 is the year of hope. And we're trying to be helpful here. Yeah. We're not trying to create more fear for people. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to fear in the new year, Ben. Yes. To that point, we are back at our discussions about our new book, Mega Life, How to Live Without Fear. And we're going to be continuing our walk through the various days. Like we've said before, there's 18 days in uh, the book itself, uh, an experience for you to be able to go through. And today we're going to talk about uh, a concept out of day three, which is the anatomy of fear. So why is the understanding the anatomy of fear important? And, and here's what I would suggest. A lot of words and concepts today in our society and culture have become very hard to define. People are defining things however they wish in many ways. So if you really want to understand something, you, you kind of have to start with what is it we're actually talking about? Yeah, you have to dissect it. Yeah. The whole point of anatomy exactly. is you have to take it apart and find out what it's made of, right? So so here's a question. In high school, did you have to dissect a frog yeah, or uh, a cat? You know, I was just thinking about this the other day for some reason, and I'll never get the smell out of my nose. Do you remember the smell when you had to dissect oh, the frog? The, yeah, the formaldehyde oh, was horrible. Oh, it was awful. It was horrible. And I also remember, uh, like, if you took anatomy physiology, that's an awful class. <laughs> Nobody wants to take anatomy physiology. I'm pretty grateful for doctors, though, who have been trained and had to dissect, you know, the human body. So they have, have seen it, like, no what they're looking at. I, yeah, I, I just can't do that stuff. But the anatomy of fear, I can dissect Were that. you like me in high school? Like you knew it was looming. It was out in the distance. There was going to be the day you walked into science class and you were going to have to dissect something. I was kind of sickingly looking forward to it. Like I thought it'd be kind of fun to take uh, something apart. But then the smell yeah. and the gooey organs and stuff just grossed Because I out. think we did like a worm and then we did a yeah. frog and and some people yeah. did a cat. I think it was, it was a pig in there or something. Oh, oh gosh. We got to stop. Yeah. <laughs> but fear. If we dissect fear, it's not gooey. It's not bloody. But it does come in parts. And the point of it is, like I said earlier about a doctor, I'm grateful that a doctor has taken anatomy and physiology and dissected a human mm -hmm. cadaver because they know what they're looking at. Right. It's the same thing with fear. Mm -hmm. If we just leave it in a general sense and we don't pick it apart to try to understand it, what are we looking at? How do we know uh, the way it's functioning in our life or if we can be able to recognize it and see it clearly so we know what to do with it right. and how to treat it, how to handle it? Mm -hmm. uh, we've already talked about a healthy fear and unhealthy fear in the previous podcasts uh, before New Year's. And uh, if you want to go back and listen to those, they're really helpful. 
Um, I've been reflecting a lot on the the Healthy Fear podcast myself of mm-hmm. just reverence, awe, and respect for things that you need to have reverence on respect for. Yeah, and we need to stop and re- reiterate that even though we go after the problem of fear, and this this whole book is about the problem of fear, we're we're, we're after a certain kind of fear, exactly unhealthy fear, and we're going to spend a lot of time in, in today and episodes to come explaining what unhealthy fear is and why it's a problem. Yeah, and I've been having actually moments of healthy fear in the last week or so. I'm, I'm taking my 16-year-old son on a ski trip later this week, and we're going to Utah, and we're going to ski at a place. Uh, if you are a skier, you've probably heard of Alta. And Alta is a, a, a pretty amazing mountain. It is the Spanish word for tall. <laughs> Why would they say it's tall, Ben? Because uh, it's high. Is it like 11,000 feet? Oh, Alta is the Spanish word for tall? Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> I just always have known as Alta. Alta, even Alto, you Wait, know? Do you speak foreign high? languages or something? <laughs> well, I took four years of Spanish in high school, right? So. Oh, there you go. I hope I got that right. Yeah, Maybe it's over 11,000 feet yeah. uh, at the peak. So it's very high, very tall. But the way the snow has fallen this year in the Rockies is there is uh, considerable avalanche conditions, Mm -hmm. specifically in the Wasatch mountain range. And I've been reading about them, whatever. And so there's part of me that's going like, is Alta going to be safe? Is Snowbird going to be safe? You need to have a healthy respect. Is Park City going to be safe? Yeah. Because there's a lot of avalanches. And I know that patrol, they, they know how to handle these things. And our entire avalanche... Uh, association or whatever you would call it is based in Utah. Mm. So they're studying this constantly and they're installing things to handle it and whatever, but avalanches are unpredictable. Mm-hmm. They just are. There was a big avalanche that rolled through Mammoth Mountain a couple of years ago, right down the lift lines. And so it didn't hurt anybody ultimately because I think they were prepared for it or they there was something going on. But I have a healthy fear right now of snow. Yeah. And to have the analogy... Think in terms of the boundaries. Yeah. If you stay within the boundaries in the area where they tell you to stay, chances of having the avalanche are, are very small. And that would be the hope, right? Right. That it's all protected in those inside the boundaries. But right? if you go out the boundaries, yeah. then there's greater risk. Exactly. So it's true with fear. You got to know where the boundaries are. You got to know where the boundary is between having a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. Yes. So there's even this irrational fear versus rational fear. It may be a bit irrational, maybe to be you know scared or fearful about what happens in the areas that have been groomed. And taken Would it be care of. irrational to cancel the trip? Maybe. It seems to me like that's where fear becomes a problem. Yeah. Where fear, as we talk about it, paralyzes you and makes you cancel plans. Yeah. As we say in the book, fear kills enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Right. We are planning to have a really enjoyable trip. Mm -hmm. My son is looking forward to this. So am I. We're going to ski our butts off. And is it possible to go, Ben, and to have a a healthy amount of fear so that you make sure you stay within the boundaries? Yeah. You look at the hills and you you, you use some common sense, but not so much fear prevents you from going and having fun. Yeah. We have no plan to go ski the backcountry while we're there. Right. However, there are times where Alta has shut down and people who are staying there Mm -hmm. are are stuck there because they have an, an intermountain avalanche condition and they won't let people out. Sure. So it does happen within the resort. So it's kind of an interesting thing in the fact that I find myself in the middle of it, but also just coming back from break and over, over Christmas for the last couple of years, we've been watching the show monk hmm. in our family. One and, of my favorites. And you'd be like, 
dude, I need to get a better skill of binge watching because why is it taking you so long to finish <laughs> the show? It's like, have you seen how many seasons there are? How many seasons are there? I actually? think there's like nine. There's a lot. There's a bunch. And so when we're on break, we end up watching it. And and like we referenced in the book, Monk is is this private detective for San Francisco police. And he's got all these fears and phobias that have set into his life because his wife died unexpectedly in a, in a car that blew up mm-hmm. and it, it triggered all of this fear in him. Mm-hmm. And it's quite humorous to watch the various fears that he has and how he he's afraid with of everything. Like there was one, <laughs> one scene where he's returning a book to a bookstore and he gives the book back and the guy goes to give him the money back and he doesn't take the money in his hand. He opens his wallet <laughs> and lets the guy put the money in. Oh, yeah. He's got a fear of germs. Yeah. You don't do this kind of thing. Do you? Uh, you know, the funny thing is, I, I do sometimes. I'm a bit of a germaphobe. And sometimes he does things in that show and I'm like, what's wrong with that? Isn't that normal? <laughs> sometimes it is. So I, I'm a little bit of a, a kind of a germaphobe kind of guy. And germaphobia is a certain phobia or fear yeah. of germs and viruses. Part of it's because I raised three kids. And when they were younger, they brought home germs all the time. Got me sick all the time. So there, there is there is a reality. Monk is a great example because if there's an incarnated example of somebody that lives <laughs> in irrational fear, oh yeah, you know, and paralyzing fear, it would be Monk. Now, if you haven't seen the show, you should go look it up and watch some episodes. That's really funny. It's funny. It's really and part of it's because it's funny because we can all relate to it in some way. You mm-hmm. want to know why? Because we're all afraid of something. Yeah, fears and phobias, and and we talk about this in day three. But really, when we when it comes to us dissecting, if we want to pull apart mm-hmm. fear and understand it, the easiest way to understand it is through something we call the foundational fears. Mm-hmm. That there are um, types of fear, well, aspects of fear that function in all of our lives that uh, we can become aware of, mm-hmm. and this has been studied and researched and and surveyed. At, where they've asked people, what are the things you're most afraid of? Right. And when those surveys came back, there was a collection of five things that were given to us. Well, they boiled down to these five. So there may be like a thousand different specific things people were afraid of. And one thing we do in the book is we actually help people connect how whatever it is they're afraid of boils down to a basic fear, a fundamental fear. Correct. So they have found, and this is not our research, we just systematized it. There's actual research out there that we have used and brought into our book about five foundational fears. And so one of the things that we ask you to do in this book, if you go through this with us, Mm -hmm. is that we're going to ask you to find your foundational fear. That there's actually probably one of these five that really drives you, that really has a foothold in you. Something that drives a lot of your upper story sort of fears. Mm -hmm. There's there's a lower story foundational fear. So what we want to do is kind of go through these five foundational fears, discuss them a little bit. And then the goal would be for you to think about which one maybe is yours. Yeah, and it's an exercise in what we call identifying your fear type. Yes. So the research that we're referring to is uh, Time, USA, and Inc. magazines identified the top five fears people have, right? These aren't the foundational fears. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about those in a minute. But when the when the surveys came back and, and the information was released, it was basically five things. Government corruption, identity theft, terrorism, running out of money, and losing a loved one. Those were top five. Top five fears people have. Yeah, and that's according to what Time, USA Today, and Inc. magazines. And I think that that is, for most people, pretty accurate. Yeah. 
I, I would say I think about those things. I don't want our government to be yeah. functioning in a toxic way or improperly. Mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. the government to function in a way that would be helpful to our country, yeah. to my life, to our state. Right. I don't want it to now, be corrupt. But are you surprised? I was surprised that that was number one. I was surprised it was number one. Like, like that's the greatest fear, which actually explains some of the political turmoil the last couple of years. Yeah. And I Why just people wonder. are so freaked out. Right. About I, I, I wonder about like the corruption maybe or when the survey was taken, was it in an election year? <laughs> you do wonder what was on top in people's minds. But I, identity theft, that, that freaks me out. Like the thought of what I'd have to do if someone stole identity. That's a big deal. Not Have terrorism. you ever had your identity stolen or someone use your credit no, card? No, I've had credit card stolen. I've had yeah. my credit card used. Somebody got stole my credit card number and bought $500 of pizza in Los Angeles. <laughs> Hopefully it was good pizza. Well, I didn't get the pizza. They got the pizza. What do you do with $500 of pizza? I don't know. How they many people are you feeding? They threw a party. I have no idea. I probably bought pizza for a party in Los Angeles somewhere. Yeah. But somebody stole my number. And I've had a couple of episodes of that. I've thankfully not had my identity stolen. That's a bit petrifying to me. Yeah. I can get why that's number two. It's kind of funny. I'm like not very fearful of having my identity stolen. Like I really don't mm. think about it. And maybe I should be more concerned. You should be, Ben. <laughs> Scary. I, maybe I'm not as concerned as I need to be about it. Maybe. But you watch the commercials. They tell you you need to be really concerned. Yeah. Like LifeLock will tell you you yeah. got to get it all figured well, out. Well, they, they put they, they basically market the fear to get you to buy LifeLock. And we, and we will. We will come back to this in a yes. little bit. Yes. How about terrorism? Now, I think that comes and goes. There's an ebb and a flow. I think when we're under attack, like in, you know, 911, you know, everyone's thinking about terrorism. But I do think that depending on when you take this poll, terrorism or violence, yeah. whether it's domestic or international, is a scary thing. And I would put alongside terrorism mass shootings. Yeah. Because to be fair, when you think about terrorism, specifically in the United States, there are certain places that you maybe need to be more concerned if you're there than right. other places. I think right. in. In Boise, Idaho, we're probably not going to experience terrorism anytime soon. No, but in Compton, you might be thinking about it more. Or New York City. Yeah. Right? We go back to where a majority of of the the terrorism acts that have really affected our country, have they taken place? Yeah, usually in big urban centers. When you go to an airport and you get on an airplane, maybe crosses your mind a little bit more. I, 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 when I go to Disneyland. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm always wondering, I'm like, there's a lot of people here, somewhere to go down. Stadiums. Yeah. Where there's large gatherings of people. Didn't you see that Batman movie about, you know, what that did do to the stadium there? Yeah, anyway. I didn't see the movie. Okay. Maybe I did. Running out of money? Yeah, that's probably something we all worry about. Oh, boy. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do if I don't get a paycheck? Like, that's pretty scary. I fear not having enough resource. Yeah. I mean, not having money and then losing a loved one. Yeah. I mean, that's losing anybody you love is very scary. So I think that's a real. So I get why these are the top five. But here's the thing, Ben. These aren't really the foundational fears. No, there's foundation beneath this. Underneath it are the real fears. So if I were to ask you, okay, you're afraid of identity theft. What is it you're really afraid of? We want to help you identify what the underlying fear is for that. So, for example, if we were to actually do this, identity theft, there is an underlying fear, and it would be actually a couple of fears. It would be something called failure and rejection and loss of autonomy. Those are the underlying fears. So maybe what we should do, Ben, is march through the five fundamental fears, foundational fears, and explain what they are. Yes, yeah, so the foundational fears, uh, this is on page 46 in the book where we outline what they are. You referenced a couple of them already mm-hmm. uh, related to specifically, what was it, terrorism, I think? Identity theft. Identity theft, yeah. yeah. So 
Let's just walk through them. Uh-huh. This is a, a, in hopes to help us identify, dissect what fear actually is and how it functions in your life. And to give you your fear type. Yeah. And as, you, as we talk about these, maybe one of them will jump out and say, that's me. Well, like, I, that's the one. I'm going to be thinking about it as I go through it, too, because um, I think it would be important for us to share. Sure. What's the one that you gravitate sure. mostly toward? Okay. So uh, the first one is failure and rejection. And the way we talk about it in the book is um, it's sometimes called ego death. Mm-hmm. This is the fear the fears about uh, damage to your self-image and your social status. So that's me. I'll just jump out there and say, number oh, one is my foundational fear. This is my fear type. Huh. And the reason I, I know that this is me is because the work that you, know, you and I have been doing the last several years... Yeah. I identified two specific things that really drive me when I'm when I'm motivated mm. by fear. Fear of failing, I hate to fail. I really like, I like to win, I don't like to lose. Yeah. So failure is very scary for me. And then secondly, rejection is very painful. Mm. So what I would do is circumvent rejection or maybe reject before I get rejected myself. So these are re- very present and real fears for me. And so I, I understand that deep down, my foundational fear, my fear type, is a fear of failure and rejection. That drives a lot of things that I'm scared of or motivated by or driven by on a daily basis. Trying to avoid these two things. When I look at the list of the five things, Uh this far and away is mine. Well, it's, it's interesting too because this particular fear I think would tie a lot to social media and how social media functions. Sure. People love to blast social media all the time about how it's bad, but you often don't get down to like the base roots of things of how it's functioning and why it would be be bad for or unhealthy for a person. And I think this is an aspect of it. Yeah. Is your social status and your self-image yeah. being destroyed by digital interaction. Oh, yeah. Would be horrible. Well, I also think that we live in a very competitive culture in which success is rewarded. You're the success or you're a failure. You kind mm. of fit in one of the two categories. And everybody wants to succeed. I know in the world I grew up in, success was everything. It's like, how successful are you? Because mm-hmm. success leads to influence and impact and all that. Yeah. So for me, I was deathly afraid of failure because I want to succeed. And that continues to drive me. And so if, if, when, I, when I realize when I'm struggling with fear in my life, I can often dissect it and identify that mm. this is probably deep down a fear of some failure or a fear of some rejection. And we also want to add on to that the concept of FOMO, which we've talked about, fear of missing out, and social me- social media really will drive that. Even sure. even messaging platforms, sure. like I've heard stories told about friends in group texts, and they find out there was a party that happened, and they weren't invited, and you just start into this cycle of yeah. the fear of what am I actually missing out on, and you begin to look at life that way, mm-hmm. and that was a concept that that came to be and it it really entrenched itself in digital culture. Well, look at our teenagers. So I have teenagers, you have Mm -hmm. teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I would say that in the phase of life that they're in, rejection is a really big deal. They want to be socially accepted by their peers. Yeah. They really value validation from other people. And the thought of being rejected is deeply scary for them. So this one probably is fundamental for all of us. Here's the thing about the foundational fears. I experience all of them. When I say that I, I'm a fear type or this is my fear type, I'm not saying I can't relate to all the others, but this is the one that rises up for me. And I think that's probably true of everyone. Yeah. Right. Because I have aspects of, of this failure sure. and rejection that has probably been stronger in the past mm-hmm. as I've gotten older and I think matured and you start to 
understand things about life and what really matters to you, no, no. like that has gone to the background a little bit, but I think you're yeah. right. Every one of us is going to experience this in some way. Well, and this requires honesty, Ben. Like, for example, I would say failure. I have a new framework to deal with failure. Mm. Whereas fa- failure used to be a really bad thing, I now don't look at it as bad. Mm. So I like to think we can grow in these things, but here's the reality. Deep down, fundamentally, I'm wired to mm-hmm. not like failure. And no matter how much I, how much work I do or how much better I get at it, mm. there's something that you just know deep down is always gonna be present. Mm. And I don't think I'm ever gonna cure that. I don't think I'm ever gonna like enjoy failure. When I think what you're articulating is why it's your fear type. Yeah. It is the, the, the base default, yeah. the one that's kind of always there looming right. that you work at, but it's the one that you tend to gravitate to. Yeah, and so so as we go through this process and talk about these five fears, it's more it's not like you know which one am I feeling right now, and maybe it's different every week or every month. No, no, no. Chances are it's going to be something that's present all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's look at the next one: the okay. unknown. Fear of the unknown. So fear of uh, death falls into this category. Yeah, and it's driven primarily by being unable to know what comes after. This is the what ifs, Ben. Yes. This is where the really we get driven by the what ifs. What if this happens or what if this doesn't happen? And there's the funny times like where we have a great sense of fear of the unknown, but there's other times where we probably should have a better sense of it, but we don't. Yeah. Like when I get into my car every day, I don't necessarily have a whole lot of fear. I think I have healthy fear of a car and traffic and all of those things, but you're more likely to die in a car accident than you would in a mass shooting. Right. But it so, doesn't stop us from worrying about the mass shooting, right? Yeah. It's, it's so like the the connection to the unknown. The big one is death, though. Yeah. What comes after this? How right. can we be certain? Are we sure of it? Well, a lot of people are are really motivated to. They they really need to know. They're planners. Mm. Like I want to <laughs> I want to know what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and the year after that. I like I need to know what's coming. I need to know what's around every corner. I need to make sure that I plan really well so there's no surprises. Like there are people out there, and maybe you're listening right now, that would say the fear of the unknown is kind of a foundation fear for me, I'm really driven on a daily basis by wanting to know. I can't stand not knowing what's coming. Mm-hmm. And I'm always just, I'm always sort of scared of what's looming around the corner or what shoe is going to drop or what's going to happen in my life next year or even more so, like I said, mm-hmm. what's not going to happen. If someone could just tell me when I'm going to die so I could schedule it out, that would be really helpful. Right. <laughs> well, I know people are like, you know, what if I don't get married? What if I don't find my dream yeah. job? What if I don't buy a home? Like what? There's a lot of what ifs, fear of the unknown that drives them on a daily basis. It consumes them. And I want to make a connection, I think, to this particular foundational fear and anxiety and how anxiety functions in people's lives. Anxiety really is driven by the unknown or unpredictability. Yeah, It's how it surfaces. So it's possible. I don't know that I can go as far as to say that this is true. That if you struggle with a lot of anxiety, it mm-hmm. maybe this is your fear type. It could be a clue. Yeah, it could, it be, could a clue. be a hint that you just really are not comfortable with the unknown. So here's the thing about anxiety, and, and this is important. We should say this that that sometimes you need medication to deal with anxiety, especially like you know specific kinds of anxiety. Yeah. But then there's normal anxiety we all experience. But there is a sense of abnormal anxiety, and there's something you can do about it. And guess what? Identifying the fear that's driving the anxiety is important. Yeah. So if you do struggle with a lot of abnormal anxiety, this could be a clue. Maybe what's driving you is a fear of the unknown. Yeah, and to go back to the death part, 
is uh, I think a lot of people have fear of what comes after. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying this just because of the nature of the functioning in my life. Like I don't have a lot of fear of death. Mm-hmm. It's not something because of what I believe. Right. I have answers in my life to what I think happens after we die. Mm-hmm. As we've talked about before on the podcast many times, we're followers of Jesus. We believe the Bible and there's answers to all of these things in there. Right. I have uh, an articulation in my life of what eternity is going to look like and what's going to happen to me after I die. And yeah. those questions are answered and there's comfort in that. Which so, we say that maybe for Christians or people that believe that they wouldn't struggle as much with this one maybe. Right. Because if there's life after death, then why would you be afraid of death? Right. It, doesn't, it, it raises the question. It does raise the question. So it does wonder, this also addresses foundational beliefs, right? Exactly. And so how, how do you begin to deal with something if, you, if your fear type is the unknown? Right. What you need is more structure and answers to the, to the things that are unsettling to you that you don't have answers for. Right. And that could be very helpful. All right. So number three, mm-hmm. I'm going to speculate and probably say this is my fear type. Okay. But it is tied closely to loss of autonomy and it's pain. Mm. We fear experiencing bodily harm. Mm. This is closely tied to loss of autonomy, but it also includes our aversion to experiencing discomfort. Okay, so I'll go on record and say 100% this is me. One, I'm I'm pleasure-driven and indulgent in my life. I love those things. Uh, but I also I, I want to experience pleasure on a regular basis, but then not not to say that anyone else doesn't, you know, yeah. I'm maybe more than most, who knows. <laughs> but I do fear experiencing like um, a car accident and being horribly injured and having to go through that. Yeah. You've said even before, I think you've shared even on this podcast about a plane crash. Yeah. My like greatest fear, fear would be. Would be Going and being in a plane crash and living through it. Yes. So that would be this basic fundamental fear. So like yeah. you were able to say, hey, I, I have a fear of getting in a car accident or going down in a plane and surviving it. If we were to dissect that and dial underneath it and dig, this could be the foundational fear underneath it. What you're really afraid of is that pain, living through the pain, dealing with pain, um, figuring a way to get healthy again, to survive, to find happiness again, to find pleasure. And I'm gonna attach also to this emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where it overlaps with loss of autonomy because, and we're skipping a little bit to number five, but Mm -hmm. The loss of autonomy is one of the most complex fears, and it connects significantly to surface-level apprehension. Mm. So I, I would say that I do experience this emotionally in my life in relationships where I fear experiencing emotional pain. Yeah. And, I'm, and it makes me apprehensive. Sure. In connection and in bonding. So I think this is an important thing to add into the pain, that it's not just bodily. It's not, and not yeah. just a physical thing. It can be an emotional thing as well. Well, I agree with you. And why don't we just go ahead and go to loss of autonomy yeah. and keep talking about sure. that one. So technically, that's number five on the list, but that's okay. We can change the order. <laughs> uh, autonomy. There's no rules. It's, we, we hear this all the time. People that have been damaged or traumatized in some way, and they're afraid to get close to somebody else. And the answer is like, why? Why are you so afraid of closeness or commitment, you know, in a relationship? Uh-huh. You're afraid of being hurt. Well, and the answer is right here at the bottom. The fear of losing your freedom, mm-hmm. rights, or privileges. There you go. Being in relationship with someone else could cost me those things. Yeah. I no longer have my independence. I'm not able to do the things that I yeah. want to do. Or they begin to exert a, a sort of control over me. Right that I lose all of the freedom that I have. Well, and even I'm thinking of like, um, so so my folks are getting older and we're, we're just having this conversation with them at Christmas about what happens as you get older. And one thing I've discovered with a lot of older folks, 
is that they become very fearful of losing their autonomy. Like being put into a rest home. Like that's a really big deal for people. They don't, they <laughs> the don't, old they don't, people's prison. Yeah. They don't want to, I want to drive. I want to keep my house. I want to live my life. This becomes a real present fear, especially as we get older, losing our freedom and ability to be able to direct our own lives. Like I, I'll be, I'll, I'll tell you, that's a fear. I can relate to that one. Yeah. I want to be able to bathe myself. I want to be able to go where I want to go. On I want your to own timeline. Choose what I want to eat. Yeah. I want to be able to live on my own. And so there's a real fear of a loss of autonomy that drives a lot of us that's present throughout our lives. But I think even in, as you get older, it becomes even more of a fear. Yeah. So to go back, I would say and go on record that pain mm-hmm. physically and emotionally is what I fear. That's, that's my your fear, fear type. type. Yeah. I, yep. I definitely do things in my life to avoid those things. Sure. And maybe you can relate to that. And listening out there, like maybe you say, yeah, maybe you're also like Ben. Fear really is what drives you. The la- the, 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 the pain, avoiding the pain, um, sidestepping the pain, getting over the pain is really what drives you. And there's no mystery here for me on this one either. I hate working out. <laughs> It's not fun. It's tied to things I don't like in my life. Hey, I Ben, don't, I don't, what? No, no pain, no gain. I know, right? That's the statement. No, I don't want to go through the pain. <laughs> you don't want the gain. I, no, haven't, I haven't seen the gain to be <laughs> as beneficial to me as avoiding the pain. Right. <laughs> so this, I think probably, you know, the, the, the fear of pain, it drives a lot of people today. You're probably not uncommon in this way. Right. Should we talk about number four? We skipped the one we skipped here. We did. And it's interesting. It comes that we've moved it to last, but this is a yeah. big deal right now in our society mm-hmm. as, as we've become a more personalized society, a more digitally connected society. Mm-hmm. But a, one of the foundational fears is a fear of isolation, right. the fear of betrayal or losing a loved one, like we referenced earlier from mm-hmm. the, the set that was identified by Ink and Time, yeah. would fall under this. But it, what's often at the root is, is the emotional pain, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't have to be complete physical isolation. Right. right? This is just the aspect of a person feeling cut off. Yeah. Disconnected. Around. Yeah, exactly. And this is why isolation is punishment in prison. You know, it, it, you put in isolation 23 out of 24 hours, that's punishment. Why? Because it hurts. The reality is that we fundamentally, basically, we need relationship. We need to be with other people. So the fantasy of running off into the forest and living by yourself actually will only kill you. It won't, it won't, it won't help you. We need relationship. And, and for some people, it, it runs deep. Right. The fear of like for parents getting cut off by their kids or vice versa, the fear of a, of a broken marriage, losing a spouse, losing, not the per- person doesn't die, but you lose the relationship and the connection is very, very scary. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of people, they live in this fear of isolation, of being cut off from people they care about, yeah. from their community, from their community of faith, for yeah. example. People do get cut off. They get punished by being cut off from family members, you know, disowned, you know, or mm-hmm. disconnected. Right. Um, disenfranchised, all those fears are driven by this fear, the fear of isolation. And it's possible, too, that we have a default fear type in our life, but it also, as our phases of life or stages of life change, one could come to the surface and be more your fear type at that stage. Sure. So what we ultimately wanted to do with this podcast is help you understand these foundational fears. Mm -hmm. The rest of the chapter or the rest of day three takes you through a process to help you understand and identify 
your fear type. Mm-hmm. You you heard us dialoguing and talking about it as we were going through this right. of, of interacting with it ourselves. And that might be helpful to you to see how someone does that. Yeah. But we we really want to emphasize to to go through that process. Yeah, it's really insightful for you to think about fear in this way. And I think the the ultimate takeaway here is that we want to help you identify your primary fear type, so that you can begin to make daily decisions to confront and handle that fear in an appropriate way. Because here's the thing: it's been said you can't fix a problem unless you identify what it is. Right. So if unless you do the dissection, unless you do the surgery, and you identify what's under Underlying all those fears that haunt you every day, until you identify what that is, it's really difficult to deal with it. So we want to begin the process of confronting your foundational fear, and that's why we want you to identify your fear type. Yeah, and this is the whole purpose of this particular podcast, too, is what is fear? How do we identify it? How does it function? Right. The anatomy of fear. And so I want to move to, as we conclude, um, uh, today is moving to the functioning of fear today in our current society. Mm-hmm. What is actually happening? Why is it increasing? Because I don't think there's anyone who would say that it isn't. Mm-hmm. I think people are definitely experiencing and would say they're more fearful than maybe they were in the past. So I found a video on rollingstone.com that was a fabulous minute and 43 second video about fear. Why is fear increasing? And it does basically three things. And I thought it was pretty much spot on. The first thing was this, it opens up and it says, fear is a commodity, it's a product, it's being marketed to us on a regular basis and also paraded in front of us through politics. People use it, and we talk about this in the book, the attention economy, that that fear is a product. There's a lot of money in being able to market fear. Mm-hmm. It's like the two things that sell are fear and sex. Yep. And so it's important to know that maybe the reason you're more fearful is because you're being exposed to it more often through everything that you're listening to, reading, ingesting into your life digitally across the board. So that's the first thing it does. And then it goes on and talks about our thoughts, that our, our brains are wired toward fear. We have a part of our brain that's in there to keep us safe and healthy. Our limbic system, right? We don't want to have it triggered toward adrenaline. And so our thoughts are kind of run through that, and we have to learn how to manage those thoughts. And so I thought that was really interesting to go, okay, so if it's always consistently being paraded in front of you, it's going to cause you to think about fear in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So then it goes, what's the solution? And, I, and this was great. It goes, and it tells us that every day, 117 people die by suicide, 129 die by overdose, 96 uh, die by a car accident and 1,300 die by smoking. I thought that was interesting uh, that 1,300 people. Smoking. Was like the most on there. Yeah. But then it makes this statement. What those stats tell us is that you are the biggest threat to your safety. Yeah. You're probably not going to die by terrorism. You're probably not going to die in a mass shooting. Mm Mm-hmm. We have more of a threat to your own safety. What you need to be maybe more afraid of is yourself. Yeah. And here's the bottom line. Your fear is what's killing you. Chances are, unless you're one of the very, very small, minute you know, contingent of that, those numbers, you're, you're, you're against yourself. Your battle, your enemy is yourself. In other words, what's going on between your ears is really affecting whether you succeed in life and have a healthy life and a flourishing life and a fulfilled life. Isn't that kind of the point? And so how we handle our fear is really important, how we deal with it, because we play a role. Right. 
and we want to be safe and stable. Yep. So if I'm more a threat to me, maybe I need to think a little bit about this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so the five fundamental fear types, can we go over them one quick time? Yeah. We wrap five, up? five foundational fears okay. are failure and rejection, the unknown, mm-hmm. pain, isolation, and loss of autonomy. Okay. So we want you to think about that. Which one are you? Which one really describes you at the very least where you're at, probably where you likely are normally. What is the basic foundational fear that most resonates for you? And if you're able to start identifying those things and you want to get rid of them, we have created an experience for you that actually is in day two of the book. Mm-hmm. We have created a website called The Fear Dump. Yes. It's actually feardump.com. And you can go there and like a lot of other people, type in your fear and dump it. Yes. In the trash heap of fear. You got to do this, folks. <laughs> go to Fear Dump and actually tell all your friends to go there, too. Get on Fear Dump and toss your fear. It's actually a lot of fun. And you can like other people's fears and and they're ranked and whatever. And so I think you'll find that interesting. So we will continue through the book Mega Life. Uh, This was out of day three, if you're wondering uh, what the reference point was. And we really appreciate you as our listeners. We hope this is valuable to you. We would love some feedback on it as well. And if you would uh, like to do that, you can communicate with us through our social media channels, as well as um, you could send us an email at info at loveandtransformation.org. And uh, we're just going to keep going. And so we appreciate you very much. And we look forward to being with you next time on the Growth Junkies podcast. Thank you for listening to the Growth Junkies podcast. Go follow us on Instagram and Facebook to join the community and check out the Four Dimensions book on Amazon or through our website, loveandtransformation.org. We also have a new book coming out soon, so keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, continue growing.